Thursday Finance, Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein, and we're going to take a look at what you should be looking at for the end of financial year, tax planning wise. We're also happy to take your calls on 49216216. We'll have a market snapshot with Henry Jennings, who returns for today. And we'll see what's happening with commodities. Um, We'll start off, um, before we get to commodities, Stephen, there's more news of unrest in Hong Kong with uh, the locals thinking it would be nice to have democracy there rather than mainland China's communist set-up. Is that going to have an effect? Well, I think things like that always have an effect. I mean, when when the original um, treaty was done to to hand back um, Hong Kong to the Chinese, there was some time frame where they were supposed to move to some kind of direct elections. But um, I think China keeps deferring um, that taking place. And, of course, the the local people are getting fed up with that. And and, um, a few, six or 12 months ago, there was people process in the street. Well, all those things are unsettling to the market. So one thing a mark, the markets don't like is uncertainty. And, you know, if you've got people sitting in the streets protesting about democracy and, um, you know, that all becomes very um, con- unsettling, unsettling and, yeah, and, investors. You know, inflammatory mm. and, um, you know, all sorts of things could could happen. So, yes, so uh, I'm sure if that continues for any length of time, you'll, you'll see a fall in the share market in Hong Kong. Mm, okay. Uh, meanwhile, before we get to the share market in Australia, how are commodities travelling this week? Um, pretty pretty similar. Um, um, gold, gold closed last night at $1,525 an ounce, which is um, down $6 from last week. Um, silver closed at $20.82 an ounce, which is up 1.4% on the week. Um, copper was down 4% on the week to $7,364 a tonne. And nickel was down 6% on the week to $1,632 a tonne. And, and tin was down 4% of the week for $18,914 a tonne. Okay. So basically the metal, the metal prices um, have fallen for the week except for silver, but, but you know, they're not alarming type falls, you know. And the currencies, um, the Australian dollar had a wild ride last night. It was up and down a couple of times. But, but yesterday, on the week, it, it closed at 77.24 cents, which is down um, 0.38 cents, not really material. Um, we closed down against the British pound and to the euro of 1.26% because the euro is um, starting to fall again because of uh, problems that are erupting in uh, Greece, which I think Henry wants to talk to us about later. And the share market index, the All Ordinaries was up for the week of 1.9%. The US market was down uh, 0.3%. And the Hong Kong market, which we're actually talking about, um, was up for the week by 0.2 to 26,753 points. Hmm. Okay. So, where are we to next? Uh, your your favourite thing. My favourite you know, thing. West yeah. Texas Intermediate was it was that being was, oil. They, they being oil. Yes, crude oil price was down two point three percent for the week to seventy seven dollars eighty five a barrel. But unfortunately, that didn't um, translate into uh, your petrol price at the Bowser for your for your car, Jane. I mean, the petrol was up three point four percent for the week to a dollar forty three a litre for unleaded. And Sydney was down eight percent for the week, for a dollar thirty-six point nine. So, so we're back to um, a seven cents a litre difference between Sydney and Newcastle again. Mm-hmm. So nothing 
old, or everything old is new again. Yeah, so it's interesting that Newcastle's up 3% and Sydney's down 8%. Big mm. drop. And Newcastle diesel prices were $1.36 a litre, which is up 4.5%. And the Sydney diesel prices were $1.30, so there's $0.06 cents a litre difference there as well. Um, Sydney diesel prices were up 0.3%. Yes, that's the way of the world, isn't it, at the moment? Um, yes, we might we might ask someone to come on and explain the... Um, we might see if we can get Kyle Lades on from RMA to talk to us about the fuel price. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners. And Stephen Pritchard, we're very happy to have our market snapshot today with Henry Jennings again. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you? It's been good. a while. Yeah, it's been a while. So How's things? I'm good. So you're now that senior commentator with uh, Marcus today. I have a, I have a new role. I'm uh, down in Melbourne for a month. And I'm uh, working for a company called Marcus today, and we're uh, a financial newsletter. Yeah, we try and uh, tell people what to, what to do and what to buy and what to hold and what to sell. Is it cold in Melbourne? Um, I'd say it's probably colder than Sydney. It's always and we cold. We don't eh? have we don't have that wonderful rainbow that Sydney had uh, uh, yesterday. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so it was raining up here too yesterday. So what's what's happening in Woolworths today? It seems to be a disaster. Well, Woolworths has well, Woolworths been a disaster for some time. They've been really doing it tough against uh, Coles and increased competition from Audi, which hasn't really helped them. Um, and yesterday we had some shock news that the, uh, the CEO, who's only been in the gig for four years, um, and he announced a three-year plan not very long ago, um, resigned, um, or is retiring anyway. Um, and the market initially took that as a positive, um, as they thought that might be a catalyst for change. But then when it transpired that he was not uh, going to leave the, the seat till uh, maybe November, uh, the market took that as a negative, and it's carried on again today. We're down another 1.5% in Woolies today. So lots of balls in the air for Woolies. It does depend a lot on who um, gets the job as the new CEO. Um, and what their plan is going to be, as I say, they may just come up with a three-year plan, um, which is now probably more like a four-month plan until the new CEO gets in. So, so they haven't decided on who the new CEO is yet? No, the succession planning doesn't seem to be particularly good, and it has, has taken, uh, I guess, the board by surprise uh, that uh, Grant O'Brien has, uh, has, has fallen on his sword. So, um, yeah, it, it hasn't been a good time for Woolies, as I say, and, and they are having still ongoing serious problems with the Masters uh, mm. hardware chain, Big W. Um, they're under pressure in the liquor uh, business as well as, of course, uh, the grocery business, which uh, is taking some hits from Coles and, uh, and Audi coming up on their tail as well. And they were talking about wheeling out Roger Corbett as chairman again at one stage. Is that still on their agenda or has that disappeared? <laughs> well, well, Roger Corbett was uh, was the sort of the, the Woolies guru and, and for a long time ran the company and ran it very well. Roger's now a, a director of Walmart in the US, having retired uh, from Woolies. But uh, I guess it would be a little bit like... Um, uh, I guess it'd be a bit like Arthur and coming back and saving the, the angles from the, the nasty Romans or something. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. He's probably uh, probably enjoying his retirement with one or two board uh, positions rather than taking on a major challenge like yeah, Woolworths you, in, in you, his you, later years. You wouldn't want to take that on because if that went wrong, it would ruin your reputation for all time. Yeah, I suspect they will look overseas as uh, as Coles did when they brought in a guy called Ian McLeod, who's a Scotsman, and he basically turned around the Coles business. So I suspect that uh, some sort of real hotshot retailer from overseas may be uh, on their shopping list. And uh, speaking of retailers, Metcash has sold its auto parts business. 
Yeah, Metcash. I mean, they're, they're, I guess, number three player in the in the grocery business with their IGA. I noticed recently they've changed from uh, Arn Doe pushing the business to uh, to Shane Jacobson, um, which is interesting. But, um, yeah, Metcash has been suffering as well, I guess, um, with terms of uh, Aldi. Um, and um, they've... they've got a, a heap of debt and one of their problems is this debt so they've, they've been looking at selling their auto uh, auto barn business off they were looking at an ipo but um they've actually decided that uh they would sell it to a group called burson group um and you know it's, it's really kind of that was one of the jewels in their crown so um again metcash have got some some uh, some headway to make in turning around their business as well yeah, yeah. So um, the crisis in the grocery industry, and then Westpac's decided to sell its BT Investment Management. Yeah, it's, it's certainly all happening at the moment. We've got uh, we've got the grocery wars, and and obviously the uh, the big banks are looking at ways to bolster their balance sheet. Yeah. They have a big stake in uh, BT Investment Management, which they've sold down. Um, they're still going to keep um, quite a big stake, so it's not the end of the world or the end of their involvement in BT Investment Management. But banks have not had a particularly great experience in terms of, of their wealth management businesses, and, and maybe that's part of the reason, but they, they certainly do need to uh, continue to keep an eye on their capital requirements and the regulatory requirements going forward. Yeah, and they're talking about 750 to $8 a share. So I remember when they listed, it was only around $2. So they're going yeah, to they've, they've, they've done pretty profit. they've done pretty well out of the business. So um, you know, it's probably not a bad time to be selling, raising some money and... and showing up that balance sheet a bit more. This is Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. We are in the middle of our market snapshot and picking Henry Jennings's brains. We're back, Henry. Um, I'm back. And then selling or buying, I'm not actually understanding the deal with Berkshire Hathaway's buying into IAG and then they're buying 3.7% and then IAG is giving them 20% of their insurance well, premium revenue. It's, yeah, they're basically kind of swapping some businesses around. Um, I guess it's a, a big vote of confidence from, from Warren Buffett um, in terms of not just IAG, but also investing in Australia as well. Um, I mean, it's not a lot of money for Berkshire Hathaway, to be honest. It's only $500 million, but they do have to share some businesses at the moment, and they're just streamlining those businesses and uh, swapping a few things around, but certainly uh, cementing that relationship, which is good. So um, certainly a thumbs up from uh, from was and uh, the other thing I guess that was interesting in his commentary was that he was looking at um, uh, Australian banks which for a long time Americans have always considered very expensive on a PE basis and compared to things like Bank of America or um, all the other banks in Wells the US. Fargo, yeah. yeah, Wells Fargo seems to be one of their um, their favoured ones certainly um, talking to people uh, here they, they like Wells Fargo as a sort of Commonwealth Bank lookalike. Um, but he has sort of said that with the with the recent pullback in the bank share price, um, they're starting to look attractive to him, which is interesting given he's uh, the, uh, the the world's most famous value investor, I guess. Well, he made a lot of money out of Bank of America during that financial crisis when he when he let them sell yeah. preference shares. Or... He, he's very good at uh, buying when the cannons are sounding and mm. uh, and selling when everyone else is buying. So yeah. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on what stocks he buys in Australia. No? Yeah, it will be. It will be. Certainly, he's a, he's a long-term player, which I guess when you're 83, 84 is somewhat of a, mm. an anathema. But uh, he, he's certainly, for his fund, and over the years, he's been a very long-term player. So um, I don't think he'll be making a move just yet. But, uh, you know, we may see in the next year or so um, Warren start to uh, to pick up a few bank shares. Yeah. 
and mm. Arium is facing further write downs. Yeah, poor old Arium. I mean, they, they, it's it's been a tough gig to be honest in uh, in, in Iron Ore, as we know. Um, you know, and Arium has been um, struggling to say the least. They're coming up with new plans, new ideas, um, but at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're talking about 320 million um, write down, um, and there was uh, there, there was some comment I can't remember what it was um, about how they were going to change the business, restructure the business. But it's you know it, it's pretty tough with iron ore, and we've seen in the last few days as well the iron ore price uh, drift down and start to test that sixty dollar uh, a ton level again, which um, you know we, we had a good bounce um, from when Joe Hockey pronounced iron ore was going to thirty five bucks or whatever he said, mm-hmm. and then uh, then the, then the price bounced from forty five to sixty. So he called it really well. Um, but unfortunately, it seems to be um, slipping again, and Arium really are um, struggling. They're talking about you know, $240 million impairment charges and all sorts of things, and, and major restructures of the business and cutting nearly 600 jobs. So it's, um, you know, it, it's hard. These guys have really got to cut their costs to try and survive and thrive in a, in a lower iron ore price yeah. market. Oh, well, we'll see what happens. And then yeah. the, the, other, the other struggling thing, um, the 10 network, uh, Foxtel looks <laughs> like, they're, like they're going to tip in fifteen by 15% of it. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many deals in uh, in 10 on the, on the cards. It's a bit like an episode of Deal or No Deal. Um, and recently um, there's been Discovery Channel have been lurking around the place. Um, but it looks like Foxtel are going to emerge as a 15% shareholder. There's going to be lots of uh, tie-ins and lots of... Uh, deals being done, so I guess it's saving um, Channel 10, which has not been a particularly stellar performer. We've seen recently uh, downgrades in profit outlook for Channel 9, um, Channel 10, you, you've only got to watch Channel 10 to see that the ads are pretty terrible, that's how I sort of gauge what's going on in, uh, in, in TV land, if you start looking at the ads and the corner shop down the road's advertising on prime time on Channel 10, you know that they're struggling to fill advertising spots rather than with flashy car and soap and mm. cosmetic adverts. So um, I think tennis still got a long way to go, but certainly um, you know, this is a step in the right direction. I guess it's a kind of a, a backdoor stealth kind of um, Rupert Murdoch yeah. takeover, well, not takeover, but certainly uh, having a lot influence. more influence. Center yeah. Office, yeah. And, and yeah. speaking of deals to be done or deals not to be done, what's happening in, <laughs> what's happening in Europe now? Uh, well, Europe is, is it's all coming to a bit of a head. The, uh, the, the Greeks and the, uh, the rest of the, uh, the European Union are at loggerheads. There's a big meeting tonight with finance ministers. Um, the Greek rhetoric has been pretty anti-any deal, anti-austerity. They're calling the, uh, calling the, the bailout funds they've received and the loans uh, odious and illegal, um, and uh, it's not looking good. So tonight will be um, an interesting night again because the finance ministers are meeting, and they have till June the 30th to... Uh, to pay back their interest payment, um, and when they pay back um, the interest payment, they then get more money. So they're they're borrowing more money, and but they're paying the interest to borrow more money. So uh, that there is no way ultimately that the Greeks will ever be able to repay uh, any of the money that they've been uh, been loaned or given, um, and there will have to be haircuts all round. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. at the moment, no one seems to want to talk about haircuts, and they just want to push the push the can down the road still. But um, it is shaping up as maybe this weekend uh, we will see um, we will see the return of the drachma even. You reckon they're going to exit the Eurozone? Uh, well, the, the, they, they could default on the loans um, and stay in the European Union. I think that, that seems to be 
um, there's sort of um, a 40% chance that they will um, sort of uh, do that. So that's kind of the the current betting is that they may default on the loans but stay in the euro and then have to agree with their lenders um, on another sort of, uh, on a haircut and a a lower debt burden to try and and get out of the mess they've got themselves into. Yeah, well, you're right. They're never going to pay it back. Someone's going to have to write, write, write. Someone's going to have to write, write the, the money off write eventually. Money it's just it. a question of who and when and on whose watch it's going to be written on. And who holds the debt. Yeah, who yeah. holds the debt, exactly. Okay, well, thanks for that, Henry. My pleasure, Stephen. Um, I hope to uh, it's good to be back. And, good to uh, have you back. This is Thursday Finance, and uh, we're very happy to take your questions. If You can get them through to Stephen Pritchard today by dialing 49216216. And, of course, we're very well aware that we're coming up to the end of the financial year. It's, what, oh, just over 10 days, days, 12 days days away, Stephen. 12 days to go. And, uh, yeah, so what should we be doing in our final 12 days? It's not too late to do a bit of uh, end-of-year tax planning. I mean... um, We've got a few things you can have a look at. Is, is one is um, prepaying your interest. So if you've got a loan on an investment property or a margin loan for a um, some shares, um, if you if you prepay the next twelve months' interest, you can claim a tax deduction in the current year. So so it's always good. One of the principles of, of um, tax planning is to to bring forward your tax deductions and defer your income as much as you can. So so by paying your interest and and make sure you don't pay more than thirteen months because after thirty months you have to pro but you can pay up to 12 months interest in the current year and claim it on your investment property or your um, margin loan. Margin loans are relatively easy to do. They, they all offer this facility. Um, your investment property, you might have to go and negotiate with your financial institution, so I wouldn't leave that very long to right. do. Right, yes. Um, and one of the other easy things is capital gains tax. We're just tackling the easy things to start with. Capital gains tax, um, if you... You need to, we spoke about this before, you need to review your investment portfolio if you've made some large capital gains during the year from, the say, the takeover of David Jones. Um, you need to look at your portfolio and anything that you, you think you're thinking about selling because you've made a loss on it. Um, you probably need to sell sooner rather than later so the capital loss offsets the gains you've made during the year. So does that apply if a shareholding that you have, if the price goes up during the year but you haven't sold it? No, no, any, any things that you've sold. So if you, you have to actually realise the capital gain to pay tax on it and similarly you have to realise the capital loss to get a deduction against your capital gain. Right. So, you, so, so, so it's, it's one of the advantages of continually monitoring um, your investment portfolio, you know. Mm. If, if you're making, if you're buying and selling a few things, you need to match your tax positions. Mm, yes. And one of the other things that we, we we find in the accounting practice that that people get confused about is deductions uh, for uh, donations. Now there, there's a, a a bit of confusion about this. Um, so not all donations are tax deductible. Not all donations are tax deductible. That's exactly right. Now the things you have to watch is like. Uh, one of the common ones is people give money to the Salvation Army and that generally is not tax deductible. However, if you give it to the Red Shield Appeal, it is tax deductible. So you have to make sure that, the, and this is one of the things that's been particularly tightened up in the last few years, that, 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 that if you were after a tax deduction, um, that the, the actual recipient who gets it is what's called a duck deductible gift recipient and they give you the reference number and and yeah you know, it's particularly with um 
religious organisations and schools, this confusion comes about. Um, I know a number of the, the churches have these planned giving programs and type things, and the, the client comes in with the receipt and says, well, we've given them $4 a week or whatever, $5 a week, and we want to claim a tax deduction. Well, that, that, unfortunately, that's, not, that's just a gift to the church or the other religious body. However, it goes into the church's school building fund or some of these other special funds, and they give you the, the receipt. That is tax deductible. So you need to be aware... And it's the same as schools. Donations to schools generally aren't tax deductible. Uh, if it goes into the school building fund, which they, which is registered and has a DGE, DGR number, it is deductible. So if you're looking for a tax deduction for your donation, make sure you give it to the right entity in the in the 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 group that you're wanting to give the money to. So a lot of the organisations that would normally receive um, charitable gifts um, are sending out things with specific um, campaigns, I suppose, like the uh, Red Shield appeal. Red Shield's and, deductible, but, okay. but a number of people just, you know, you go down in Beaumont Street and the, the Salvation Army is, you know, collecting money. Unless that's specifically going in the Red Shield appeal, or they may have some other entity that's deductible gift recipient, but the Red Shield is the main one. Um, unless it's just, if it's just giving to the Salvation Army for their general works, it's not deductible. It has to actually go into these specific organisations, specific registered sections. So just make sure it's a deductible gift, gift recipient. And, and they'll all give you a receipt and they'll all have a DGR number. Okay. Right. Oh, okay, something to be uh, aware of as you as we head towards the end of the financial year and want to make mm-hmm. uh, make the most of our tax deductions. This is Thursday Finance on 2NURFM and uh, we've still got more things we can do before the end of the financial year, so we'll, um, uh, we'll do that. But right at the moment, we have uh, a question on 49216216 from Greg. Now, Greg, you're from Wanji Wanji. You've got a question for Stephen? Oh, fun. Hello, we're getting funny noises through. Uh, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. Good, okay. Can you speak loudly into your phone? Oh. Hello, are you there now? Yes, we're, we're there, but we're getting very funny um, feedback. So, um, what's your question, Greg? Uh, if you bought an investment property about 12 years ago, and you're selling it at a loss now, what costs associated with the sale of the property and uh, can go up your income for this financial year? Okay, so if you're selling the, the... You bought an investment property 12 years ago, you're selling it this year at a loss. Okay, so 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 from a tax point of view, that that's a generally would be a capital loss. So that the loss is only deductible against any capital gains you have. Um, and anything associated with the with the acquisition of the property originally, which would be um, the purchase price, the stamp duty and the legal costs generally, would form part of the cost base. And when you sell it, um, the cost base what what you're selling would be the sale proceeds, the legal costs and probably the agent's commission and they'd all come off. So the net difference would determine your your gain or loss. Um, Then you apply your 50% discount if it's a gain and if it's a loss you you just deduct it off any capital gain. So it doesn't come off 
ordinary income. Okay, hope that answers your question, Greg. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. Stephen Pritchard, um, what are, what else can we look at doing for our, to prepare ourselves for our well, one, one of the year. things we can look at is superannuation, and, and people can use that for a lot of ways of um, planning your tax liabilities. I mean, if you're a non-supported person, which basically means you're, you're not employed, or 10%, sorry, I'll rephrase that, more than 10% of your income doesn't come from employment income, you can put co- contribution into a superannuation fund and claim a tax deduction to for it subject to certain other requirements. Yes. Um, so, so basically, if you're under 49, you can put in 25,000. And if you're over 49, you can put in 35,000 and that comes straight off your taxable income. Now, if you're that applies if you're a non-supported person under 65 years of age. Now, if, if, if you're over 65 years of age, you also have to meet a further test called the... Um, work-related test, which means you have to work 40 hours in 30 days for if you're over 65. So if you're over 65 and you want to put some money into your superannuation fund this year and get a tax deduction, you need to hurry up and work 30 hours in the next two weeks. <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm sure that's achievable. 40, um, 40 hours or 30 hours? 40 hours. 40 hours in 30 days. Oh, yeah, I know. Yes. I, I keep mixing it up myself, so that's funny. And <laughs> You can't go and do charitable work. You have to have a group certificate or pay-as-you-go, non-something summary, as they're called these days. Yeah, so so you need to actually get a, a statement from your employer to say that they've paid you for these 40 hours, and then you're entitled to claim a superannuation tax deduction for between twenty five and $35,000. Um, and then there's non-deductible contributions. Some people like to put in non-deductible contributions. Um, you can put up to 180000 of those if you're eligible to make a superannuation contribution. And why you would do that is because the income in the superannuate, the superannuation fund either is taxed at concessional rates or not taxed at all if it's used to fund a pension. And, and that can be a considerable benefit as well. So you've still got time, but remember that contributions have to be received by the fund and cleared prior to the 30th of June. If you put them in on the 1st of July, it's too late. That's already the next financial year. the next year. financial year. Mm. And the other thing people need to remember out, it's most important, is if you're running a self-managed superannuation fund, you have to have the pension payments out by the 30th of June. If you, if you don't take enough pension payments out, they, they're treated as lump sum payments and the fund becomes taxable. Okay, so, so beware of that. Need to look at the 30th of June for your super funds. Work before that, uh, before the end of the financial year. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thanks, Jane. Uh, we'll be back with Thursday Finance next Thursday after the midday news on 2NURFM for our sponsor, Pritchard & Partners. Coming up is the news in three minutes' time, and after that, Gillian Campbell will be along with Business, the Law and You.